Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. Our aim is to bring the topic of death out of the closet by creating open conversations surrounding death, dying, and the aftermath. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for joining us today on the Death Dialogues Project podcast. So I am going to talk to you a little bit today about the unpacking of the Death Dialogues Project debut, which was a couple of days ago. It was on Sunday evening, and it consisted of blessing and opening up the project along with a verbatim piece that was written um, and created from a two and a half hour interview with a mom whose wee beautiful six and a half year old son had died 16 years ago. We were meeting on the 16th anniversary of his death for this production. So if you were there, thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for the positive feedback. It means so much to us and I, I can't even tell you how I'm continuing to be so overwhelmed by the positive feedback because you just don't know. You really don't know if people are up for these kind of conversations. And I think that we're hearing loud and clear that our community is. And with this podcast, a wider community can be as well. So what I'd like to do right now is share with you the welcome, um, the, the about that I spoke of before I did the verbatim piece. And the nice thing about this is it does get you into my headspace about where this project was born from. So I'm gonna read that, and then we're gonna take a little pause, and then I'm gonna have a conversation with my intern. And we're going to just kind of walk through what it looked like, and um, we'd like to hear your feedback. Thank you. So here we go. Hari Mai, welcome and thank you so much for coming into the space with us today. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been afraid about this part. Who am I to stand here before you? Who am I to investigate and create conversations surrounding the topic of death? But I'm writing on trust with this project. Today, I'm trusting that you are here because you are open to considering conversations about death. Trusting that, like me, you understand the universality of death, that it leaves no one behind. Trusting that I can put my own anxiety to the side and ride the energy of synchronicity from which this project was created. Is it too far of a reach if I say that it is quite possible that my deceased soulmate brother had whispered this mission into my ear and it was my responsibility to listen? And as I sat down to write these words, instead of fleeting, Max, help me, he also whispered to me to be open, be transparent about your fears. That's what he would do, and I'm trusting that path. So when you see the initials WWMD on the program, or about the project, or on my wrist, that stands for what would Max do, because he was that type of role model for me and many others. And he was a speaker and writer and a renowned mediator, a real master of words, a person who provided many a eulogy, and he continues to guide me now. I'm trusting that this mahi was meant for me to explore and play with and mold and create into something that would meet death head on and say, we see you, we know you, we know you've been here and will come again. We don't always understand you, death, but we see you. And let me be very clear, I believe the only experts there are on death are the ones who've experienced it with eyes and hearts wide open, resisting the urge to clench and explain it away. Death and the aftermath cannot be taught from a textbook. Death cannot be taught from a lecture. And there are far too many stories of the professional, the doctor, the counselor, the nurse, running from, avoiding conversations surrounding death and grief, with their clientele because they have yet to open their own hearts to death and its teachings. We can only learn death from listening to its stories with open hearts and minds, 
a trust and a willingness to walk into death with others and ourselves. Our own stories and listening to the stories of others bring forth the unique facts of death. For death is as individual as each person, each family, each situation. And if we're not open to seeing that individuality and finding that uniqueness, then we are really not open to what death is asking of us. And very likely, we live a life denying its existence or running from death. Yet, there is no shame in running from death. That's what many of us have been programmed to do. So one goal of this project is just to open the door just a crack and allow stories of death to walk through and sit down for a cup of tea. Today I woke up with the quote having been sent to me from a friend living abroad. The way we deal with loss shapes our capacity to be present to life more than anything else. The way we protect ourselves from loss may be the way in which we distance ourselves from life. That is Rachel Naomi Reeming. These words could be the why for this project. And just a little sidebar of synchronicity here. I wrote this down and I didn't even pick up on it until I reread it a couple times. Wow, that name looks really familiar. And it just made me think, oh my gosh, go look on the bookshelf. And I look on the bookshelf and I grab the last present that my brother Max gave to me. And it's a book called My Grandfather's Blessings, and it was full of all sorts of synchronicity, um, similarities to our situation, and I picked it up after his death, and guess who that book is by? Rachel Naomi Ramin, the same person that gave that quote. So I'll send up a little thank you to Max for that as well. So the hope is that the Death Dialogues Project will be just one mode of transportation for those stories. We are currently experiencing a cultural wave of opening to death and putting away Western society's medicalization of the dying process and reclaiming ownership of death. Does that sound familiar? Because the same generation that makes taking death back their mission consists of many with the same mindset of the people who took back the birthing process and brought it back into our homes and, at the very least, empowered people to understand they had choices. Because of that cultural wave, this project is also interested in talking to people who are doing death work and opening choices surrounding dying, death, and the aftermath. While caring for my brother and 95-year-old mother before and after their deaths, the term death doula kept rising for me because the entire process felt so akin to the work of being present with someone during the hard work of childbirth. And I later looked the term up and little did I know that death doulas, people who make their work attending to people who are dying, usually in their homes, they have been riding on top of that cultural wave I spoke of And there are now training programs and beautiful people who are choosing that work as their career path. And this work and the missions behind digging deeper into death and grief are multiplying as we speak. And as we know, our lovely hospice and the international hospice movement has historically been a forerunner by providing space and devoted professionals to facilitate gentle and compassionate dying. So yes, With an interest in the power of intersecting the arts and social awareness, a verbatim full-length play based on interviews surrounding death is still a goal for this project. We've also seen that this project is a dynamic process, and we are open to seeing where these conversations lead us. For instance, we have just begun this, the Death Dialogues Project podcast, where you can hear interviews and information by listening on your favorite podcast platform. The beauty of this is that the podcast could be a vehicle for conducting further interviews that we use in the final theater piece as well. Of course, on our Facebook page, we post resources and conversations surrounding death. And we're on Instagram, too. A couple of the people already interviewed have expressed an interest in an evening such as this surrounding their unique story. Is our community open to these conversations? 
please give us your feedback on that. So, rather than making grandiose promises about the project's goals, we promise we will continue forward with eyes and hearts wide open and let this journey be an organic process. My own death experience with my loves could be a standalone piece, but I do want to take just a moment to honor my brother Max and my mother and the gift they gave me by allowing me to be intimately involved with their lives and their deaths, which were the seeds for this project. Just the other day, I opened a journal to words I'd written almost exactly two years ago when I was in the States with my brother, and it it seemed the handwriting was on the wall with the progression of his illness. In fact, his death from primary CNS lymphoma, a form of brain cancer, was six weeks later. I'll share it now just to give you a glimpse into my heart and why I'm bound to continue to follow my brother's guidance. I called it, Don't Call Him Home Yet. Begging another season for this man to walk the earth. Please add more time to his life clock for him to love and give and receive. Let no fear hover above or envelop him, but a peace in the knowing that all we are will always be. Those left behind would be the sufferers to lose the love, the compassion, the knowing shelter we seek solace in. To feel a heart hurt like this is awful and leaves one awestruck, all in the same. That one's passing on from this world might leave such a gap that had long been stitched together by his compassion, a gap left for so many who've had the honor to pass this way. It's in his suffering I realize he grew me from a sprout. He corrected ignorance and planted compassion. He corrected complacence and grew action. He saved me like no father had and like no brother the world has ever known or will again. I'd like to take this moment to honor and thank Madeline for opening up her heart and her story. And thank you all for stepping into the space with us. You will now hear the verbatim piece created from Madeline's interview. And just a word on verbatim theater. It's sometimes referred to as documentary style theater. It's created from interviews surrounding a topic or incident. The reading from the cards, if that is chosen, does heighten the awareness that we are not seeing fiction being acted out. These are the words of a real person. So that was the introduction, and then that was followed by the verbatim reading referred to. I will pause for a moment here. If you hear a little barking in the background, we're fostering the cutest little puppy. So apologies for that, if that's something that's coming through. And Svenja and I will be back with you in just a moment. Thank you. So for this part of the segment, Svenja, my intern extraordinaire, is joining us, and we're going to have a little unpacking or debrief of the Death Dialogues Project debut. And Svenja has been over here and will be for three months. She arrived in late October. Hi, Svenja. Hi, Becky. Thanks for joining us. Do you want to just tell the audience just a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm from Germany, I'm 22 years old, and I'm studying American Studies and English Literature and Culture. Lovely. So, as you can see, this experience um, with the Death Dialogues Project, she's interfacing with the language, she's doing some transcribing for me, she's also was very instrumental in the production, she ran the sound and lights, and attending meetings. So yeah, it's been a pretty good intern experience, don't you think? It has been. It's pretty fun. I mean, I know my friends are doing the same thing right now, and they don't have as much fun as I do. (laughs) So thank you for that. Well, and it just so happens to be that we're friends as well. So that makes it even better, doesn't it? It does. So, Svenja, we were pretty apprehensive walking into this debut, weren't we? Yes, we were, Becky. 
Yeah, but that we did not know what, how it was going to be received. I mean, you get so many reactions, even just saying the word death, that shocks people. I mean, I could tell the tickets were selling, but I also knew Madeline, our dear mom, had a huge support network. So I wasn't sure how many of those tickets were her funnel, her community, her support, her family. Um, But it ended up, we had a packed house and we basically sold out and then people were showing up at the door. And by the time we kept putting in chairs and putting up chairs, it just was a really packed. So what I'd like for you, if you don't mind, Sven, you just kind of give the listeners an idea of what the space would have felt like for them had they walked in. So for me, and I think other people would agree, it just felt like walking into a family gathering slash cafe. It was very comfortable, very cozy, a lot of couches, chairs, tables, flowers. It was lovely. It was a really nice feeling walking in there. Yeah, so we had had a lot of conversations with 116 about how do we do this. And most of you know that I had staged um, the vagina monologues last February, this past February. And we'd had a traditional kind of theater set up and felt for one night that was a little overkill. But, you know, as if you were there, if you heard, and if you've read much of what I write, my um, deceased brother, I feel like, is consistently giving me messages and I just really was feeling like just make it like a home living room or lounge just where it's somewhere we can sit down so and have it have a chat and feel comfortable and it was just beautiful how many people commented on that didn't they it was yeah yeah it was like um you know oh the space I just felt so comfortable and so hopefully if people did have any like tension about what they were walking into hopefully that atmosphere and it sounded like it did let them exhale a little bit eh I think so yeah I mean you could just see that the people were very comfortable there and I just think this space was perfect for the debut I really think so the people seemed to love it yeah and the cool thing about it being set up like that was afterwards they didn't want to leave they sat in there and never seen that at a show before of any type where they just sat. It was like, okay, the lights are up, the music is going, you know, we're doing our set list that we had, which I really put a lot of thought. Music really, really sets a mood for me. And I have a lot of songs that I used, you know, for the process with my mother and with my brother, and they mean a lot. And I knew that would set the space for me. And then some of them are just so pertinent, you know, I knew they couldn't help but set the space for other people. And, and then um, one of Madeline's um, things that she refers to in the verbatim piece about her and her um, son, her six and a half year old son died of brain cancer. We had a song for the closing that that had kept going through her head the day he died, and she didn't know why it was going through her head, and it was called Say, Say Goodbye to You, right? And um, yeah, so yeah, I, I, I try to give some thought to every little piece, and we had an altar up at the top where, um, by the stage, where... You know, I had a picture of Mom and Max, and Madeline had a picture of Mayan, and um, Jane had brought a token from her grandmother, and I'm not sure if Joe, who was involved, and I would have loved it if the whole audience could have brought something, right? And it just had, and maybe that's what we'll do next time, is just open that up, like bring, bring an ancestor with you if you want, and invite them into the space. I think that was a big part of why people felt so comfortable in there, just because you could tell that it was really personal. The music, the altar, the pictures, the flowers, everything. It just felt like such a personal thing and not just like a debut or just the verbatim. Mm. It was more than that. It was very comfortable. And also you could just see that you were pouring a lot of your own energy and love into it. Well, thank you. So just to maybe just roll down a little bit of how it went. Um, so Jane Cunningham is this lovely person in our community in Fungare who does 
amazing creative and spiritual work. And I got involved with her after um, attending one of her workshops that was really amazing after not long after I arrived here back in 2011. And then we became friends. And for about three years now, she's had a soul mapping or art journaling group that she holds on Mondays. And so I'm very up close and personal with how Jane can hold space. And so I felt um, if this was going to be... um, personalized at all that she would be a great person and you know we had just 116 had had a blessing a few weeks ago and had the whole Māori um, blessing and it was very very beautiful service and blessing and um, I thought you know I want to stay with that cultural aspect of having a blessing for the project but I've also met with Māori people before and you know there's that little bit of you know, here I am. I've come from the States. I've been here seven and a half years ago. It's a fine line for me of not wanting to, um, there's a name for it and I can't come up with it right now, but kind of not wanting to overtake in somebody's culture. Like I don't, that colonization thing, you know, not wanting to walk in and act like this has been my tradition because it really hasn't. And I don't know how respectful that is sometimes. In the Northland, we have such a strong Māori culture, and I knew the women that I had in the production were very steeped in that and very fluent and very knowledgeable, and it was beautiful, wasn't it? They really pulled. They were speaking Te Rio, and we sang songs, and, and so they brought that bit of the culture in without feeling like I was um, compromising, you know, and, and you know, stealing cultural cultural um, intelligence kind of thing. So yeah, that was beautiful. And Jane opened the space, um, lit a candle, um, prayerfully invited our ancestors and um, blessed the space, spoke a little bit about the project and uh, Madeline both. That was a beautiful opening, right? And then um, I started with the introduction to the project which you've just heard, which I have um, shared with you here, because it's a space to, and a bit that actually gives you kind of where my head's been about the why behind this. And then um, that was behind a podium. Jane felt more comfortable having a podium there. So we had a little podium there. And basically it's dark lighting with just the stage lit up. And then I, um, after I did my about, I moved to the stool in the middle and read the verbatim that I had created from a two and a half hour interview with Madeline, who is a mom who's talking about her experience of having walked through the illness and death of young Mayan. And um, like I said, he was six and a half years old when he died. And part of the tragic beauty of this was that he died just five days after she gave birth in the same space that he died. And, And it was a beautiful home process for both of those things. And yeah, what did, give us some of your thoughts about the whole verbatim, you know, those words, Svenja, what do you think about that? Um, for me, it was the first time attending an event, even though we didn't call it that, like this, especially listening to the verbatim piece. It was, I don't even know how to describe it. It was a really touching experience, especially because I, you have, you had read it to me before and that was a big thing for me just hearing the story and it was touching but hearing or listening to it again with all these people knowing that his mom is right there listening to it it was very very touching it was hard in, in kind of a way to listen to it because I knew she was there and her mom was there and But it was just beautiful. I saw people crying. I saw people holding each other's hands. I saw people hugging each other. And it was just, I just knew in that moment, this is something big. It's like bringing people together and just so much love. So really enjoyed it, especially with the mood setting, like the just one light on the stage 
and just you sitting there on a stool it was really just simple mm. but i think that was the best thing you could have done mm. just you on the stool mm. yeah yeah i mean you could feel the love in that room that's for sure you could feel feel a lot in that room as a matter of fact but we'll get to that in a little bit so the next thing after me was a woman named joe samuel coming up and talking and joe had been uh, a facilitator uh, support for madeline during the process of mayan's death and she conducted the funeral and madeline was pretty clear that that would be somebody that would feel very nurturing and supportive and is a great articulator and she really held some beautiful space up there and um, the thing I'd like to mention about Joe right now is that her and a few other women run a business in Fongeray called Gentle Undertakings and so if any of our people in Northland are looking for an alternative um, to the traditional dying and post-death process um, and we'll be having some podcast discussions about this type of thing in the future but for instance my personal experience you know of the the pros and cons for instance of embalming you know we don't know a lot of embalming about embalming and these ladies can help you make decisions that might feel a bit more natural and gentle <laughs> hence their name so i do want to make it very clear that, that she's there as a resource as well um what i've met, forgot to mention about jane's work is i'd like for you all if you have a piece of paper to write down um gentle-conversations.com jane has created an online document for you to facilitate conversations with your loved ones and even yourself about your life end of life what your wishes are and just check it out it's totally free to use and it's a wonderful resource and it's a wonderful giving of jane and and that type of document would lead right into the type of work that joe does joe samuel does and would be super helpful to have as you're planning that death process and that um, funeral afterwards so she held that space in a beautiful way gave a talk and then Madeline came up the mom came up it was pretty powerful wasn't it it was I almost cried it was really powerful she's such a strong person it's mm. it's really incredible yeah so a little bit about Madeline I knew Madeline know Madeline from Jane Cunningham from our work together in the art journaling process which is super deep and super wide and for you know I've been a longtime therapist have worked in many many clinical settings and I've seen art therapy in action and I'm telling you what what we do is art therapy it's like no other art therapy I've seen before because we process beforehand and after and um, so I had an intimate connection, any, any of the women in that group, Svenja has been now, so she knows any of the women in that group have an intimate connection. And so when I talked about this project, Madeline put her hand up for it. And as I spent the whatever, two and a half, three hours at her home doing the interview, there was one little bit in there where she said, you know, as we're doing this, Becky, if you ever think maybe that that you and I could do something together with this I I think I'd be okay with that now mind you we were already doing this because I was the the primary initial goal of the death dialogues project was to do these interviews and then take bits and pieces of the interviews and make them into a long a full-length play much like the vagina monologues is is done but man, when I did Madeline's, and then I got her um, transcription, you know, I transcribed it and went through hours and hours and hours it took. And I could not get it below what the 25 minutes that you heard, um, because it's just so rich. And it could have been, it could be an entire play. I mean, that her story itself. And so Laurel Devaney, who... Northlanders know as she's instrumental in the company of giants and 
developing 116 as a community space. And you can also see her on Shortland Street <laughs> almost every night, our local um, star actress. She has, is my creative consultant, and I sat down and read that to her, and, and she was just blown away, too. And so it, we decided, or, you know, I opened up to that idea. It's like, this, this can be a standalone bit, and why don't we open it up to being just the, this is our project. It's like an open house, and hear the story as well. So bless Madeline. She has been very open, and it's been enough time. You know, it's been 16 years. She had had the opportunity to talk for the uh, can child cancer awareness um, or some such uh, organization such as that. And, you know, it's eloquent. Oh, my gosh. She's such a beautiful speaker. And just the words in her interview are just so powerful. And I'm just, I can't even thank her enough for being able to use her story and her words to create this first piece. It's powerful. Mm. It really was. Mm. Also, how do you feel now, two days after the debut? How do you feel? Oh my, I, I have to tell you, you know, I've done a, a bit of theater and I've done a lot of working in the helping profession, right? And um, I've always found it so very rewarding to help people. And, um, but usually, you know, I've done some group therapy and things like that, but it's usually been one-on-one -on -one work. And, and also it's a huge rush whenever you do theater, you know, it's just after, you know, that's just, oh, that's the, probably the best part is after. And you're just like riding that high and it's just so fun. So it was really, really strange because there was a mix of that And I have never, ever, ever in my life had so much positive feedback for anything I've been involved with. And I have to tell you, Svenja, it was overwhelming at times. I mean, people were coming right up to my face and looking me right in the eyes, as Germans do when they toast, apparently, right? <laughs> That is true <laughs> but you know it was it was very confronting in a beautiful way and and it's also you know let's be real about this it's 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 a bit awkward you know because this whole project was born from death you know it was inspired by my brother's death and the kind of work I knew he would do if I had died first you know what kind of what would Max do is is my mantra and um He would have, he would have, he, I, I could just see him doing a project like this, doing something like this. So, you know, there's, there's that bit and that feels good actually to turn, you know, a tragedy into something positive. But then, you know, the stories are stories of loss and they're real. We haven't made this up. So it is very bittersweet. And, you know, Madeline and I had to do a lot of processing going into this, even advertising for it. Even when I put that first little video clip up on Facebook, we both felt like, oh, you know, this is, this is a little awkward but we worked through it because we knew yeah if people are going to come <laughs> we've got to have something out there and you know the, the and she was getting positive support from her people and you know we were getting positive support about the project so i think we kind of worked through that but that that whole awkwardness kind of flashed back um but it was so beautiful i mean like i mentioned earlier people sat They stayed, they talked, they were grouping. You could just tell they were in their deep conversations. They shared their losses with us. Some people had had similar experiences with the death of a child. Before the show, people were sharing their losses with me. So grief had driven the car for some people to get there. I mean, that was what motivated some people. And then afterwards, because it was Mayan's 16th birthday, um, you know, there was beautiful cake and something that Madeline liked to do was honor. I'm sorry, if I said birthday, that was wrong. The 16th anniversary of his death. And we, I've just never been at a show or anything like that where people have stayed so long and engaged in meaningful conversation. Mm -hmm. And, and I've never personally received 
so much positive feedback before about anything. So that was a bit overwhelming. And then, as you know, we get pack up and then we get home and we take the comment basket out. And it's just that wave happens again. I mean, these comments that Svenja's compiling now, um, it, it was just, it's just really mind blowing. So I feel like I'm in a dream a bit. And um, yesterday, we very mindfully, yesterday was Monday. So it was the day after the project, we both woke up feeling a little hungover, even though there was absolutely zero alcohol involved. And um, went to the beach, just decided to focus on getting grounded and just kind of clearing out. And it was beautiful how that cooperated, wasn't it? Tell them about the weather yesterday. So we woke up yesterday. The sun was shining. It was beautiful weather. So we decided after our very delicious brunch, thank you, Becky, for that, we were going to the beach. So we packed up, we went to the beach, and it was beautiful. We had a beautiful little walk had some grounding was beautiful Atticus and I went into the water was not too cold and then we got back and it just started raining it did not stop I don't think it stopped yeah and hailstorm it was just beautiful it was a thunder yeah Yeah. it was a perfect day I also want to add that I think it's very interesting how the majority of people that were at the debut were older people. Yeah. But there were also some younger people. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. It was a pretty, yeah, diverse group, wasn't it? There's no way to know. There was no way to know what it was going to be. And then the other cool thing about yesterday is that we did go see Bohemian Rhapsody last evening. And I don't know if that was smart. I mean, man, that one tore my heart out, too. That was, but I think it did. I think that it somehow just pulled everything together. It was probably a good grounding thing to do as well. Um, so how, how am I afterwards? So this morning, I just wake up to just one more just life-changing comment for me about the whole production. And so I'm still, I'm still quite overwhelmed. I'm I'm overwhelmed by people's insistence that this project must continue, should continue, um, and what that means. And, you know, as I was telling people that night, I mean, obviously, we're continuing with the interviews. We've expanded to um, the podcast, um, which I think is beautiful because it's a way to incorporate occasional interviews as well with people with their own death dialogue and share some information. So it's multifaceted. Um, You know, we have the Instagram little account that we keep up and the Facebook. And then there's the blog, deathdialogues.net. And the lovely thing about that, I've got two um, submissions right now. One will be going up today, later today. Um, And that is a place that people can share their stories if they're ready now. And, you know, it was really lovely. A couple of weeks ago, I had a woman who really, really wanted to submit. And then she messaged me and she said, I've written it. And it. I feel like now it's too personal to submit. But thank you so, so much for just, you know, having the space because the writing was so therapeutic. I feel so much better now. And that's why I want to encourage people, you know, to do is like, yeah, maybe we're never going to get a chance to talk about your situation or you're not comfortable talking about it but maybe you'd like to write it and then if you'd like to share it feel free and everybody can be anonymous now you know for the full-length play the idea was for everybody's stories to be anonymous obviously you know for situations like this Madeline was more than happy Um, but that's following people's leads on that more than happy to have her identity disclosed so um, uh, there were people there that I've already interviewed that have um, that kind of expressed an interest to have a one-off like this. I have somebody that's written a comedy short in, in response to death that we're gonna we're gonna chat. Um, she was at the production. I don't know how she feels about it now. I have um, 
yeah, I, I don't know about like these one-offs. I'm, my mind is still percolating. And that's basically what I told people is, um, and I'll be meeting with Laurel, as I mentioned Laurel early. I'm going to meet with Laurel and really get centered on this. And, um, and part of it, too, is, um, you know, I think just being centered is the best way to put it. Like, really so far everything has gone smoothly and that's because I've followed my heart which I believe is divinely led and I believe my brother has a part in that and that's what I want to continue doing is um, not getting carried away oh people want this I've got to do it now you know what am I going to do because people yeah I've got to just really sit with it and um, follow that divine flow I think what do you think What do you think about the direction of the project? You tell me. I think it's going into the right direction, that's for sure. I love how you say it's an organic Mm -hmm. thing. I think that's the best way you can describe it. Mm -hmm. It's just whatever feels right whenever you want to do it. I love love that, Mm -hmm. that you're doing it that way. But I think you could tell that these people who were there were craving the just the discussion of death Mm -hmm. since it is such a taboo in our society Mm -hmm. why do you think that is oh man yeah that's big i do i do think there are families and cultures that are more open about death so i don't think it's all taboo but i do think you're yeah i think in general like we don't sit around and talk about it at work you know usually or if you go out with your friends, it's not what you're typically sitting around talking about. I, I think the thing about it is that because it's not talked about in an everyday fashion, when it is talked about, it's usually when it's carrying the most emotional weight. And can you pause it? Sorry about that. We had an alarm go off. I actually have it set to talk to my my brother's wife. So we were going to connect about how this had gone on. So what were we talking about, Svenja? About death as a taboo. Yeah, I was saying that um, I think because, you know, we don't talk about it every day. It ends up, when it does get talked about it, it's usually on the heels of trauma or tragedy or freshness. And the emotion is heavy and people aren't comfortable with that and they don't know how to receive that and they don't know so rather than take the risk of talking about death casually or talking about the intensity and putting other people in an uncomfortable situation shouldn't we just keep it in the box and I think kind of maybe over time that's been the dynamic is that if we open up that box that death lives in We just don't know what's going to come out. Versus, you know, if you have a fear, and I think fear of death is another huge huge reason we don't talk about it. If we don't talk about it, it's not going to happen, maybe. I can be in denial. Um, If I have a true phobia, you know, I just pretend it could never happen to me. And, but the true, you know, if you have a phobia, if you have an anxiety disorder, what's the treatment for it? Exposure. So the only way to ever get through a a fear, a true fear, a true phobia, is to look at it in the face and do that repeatedly. So by tiptoeing into these conversations of death, by putting yourself in situations like a death cafe in your community or um, just opening up those conversations with friends, having an agreement like, hey, you know, there's this one really cool thing going around now. You can find it on Instagram. It's called, um, I think it's called the Death Deck and it's a card game. And you get to open up and talk about maybe what your wishes are. At first when I heard about it, it was like, "Mm." but when I looked at it deeper, it was like, oh my gosh, this is a really great idea. So just finding those conversations and once you start exploring, as I've said, you know, we're, we're in a cultural wave right now where death is being brought out of the closet. So hopefully, um, as people are trying to live more authentic lives, which I think there's, you know, there's a huge rush on that. And I think your generation and, you know, those, you know, the 20s and the 30s and the 40s people 
especially the 20s and the 30s, you've been brought, a lot of you have been brought up by people, parents who have talked much more openly and, um, you know, maybe tried to expose their kids to a bit more and have just had that little door open to even go deeper and dig deeper and really live in a deep, deep way. So I think there's a, I I think it's changing for sure, you know, and I think the openness and death is going to be, um, lives are going to be celebrated in a more open way. I, you know, I really, really believe we're on the crest of a wave here as far as that. So hopefully that answers your question a little bit. Yeah, I think I just want to mention that, um, especially for me, I found it very interesting because I have not been exposed to death at all, besides my grandpa dying um, four years ago. But I wasn't really close to him, so it didn't affect me in that way. So for me, coming here and talking about death almost every day is something new. And I really have to say that it. I'm not... Well, enjoying is maybe not the right word for it, but it's just really interesting. And I feel like I'm learning a lot right now, Mm. especially um, we went to the death cafe Mm. and just hearing people talk about their stories and their relationships with death really moved me. It was like, wow, this is such a huge part of our lives, obviously, because everyone dies at some point. So why don't we talk about it? It's just as natural as birth. And that's, yeah, it's just really kind of, it's frustrating knowing that people just don't want to talk about it, especially just um, very shortly before I left Germany, I was talking to my family about what they should do in case I die here, just because I thought it might be an important discussion to have. And my mom was not having it at all. She was not, she was like, you're not going to die. Let's not talk about it. And I think that's one of the reasons people just don't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. they don't want to think about death they want don't want to think about their loved ones dying and i think we may be should change that and i think your project is one of the things that will lead us (laughs) to where we can talk about it and i think that's why i really really appreciate your work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I think, you know, again, there's, if you really dig into it, there's a lot of people out there trying to create these conversations. And so I'm just down for that, you know, just like expose, 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 and, you know, see it coming up on Instagram for your generation, you know, or seeing, you know, the more you see it coming up, the more that you think about it, the more it is is part of reality, the more it is normal to have that conversation that you had, because that's exactly, I agree, you know, it's like, yeah, just talking about it. And I think there is a lot of magical thinking about why we don't talk about death. Like, oh, if we talk about it, we're going to bring it on, you know, well, in fact, no, that's not it. But if it happens, if it so happens, and you've talked about it, you will have that reassurance of knowing that you're following your loved one's wishes, or, you know, that you at least acknowledged the conversation about it. And, you know, my dad died when I was 23, 22 or 23. And it changed the way my whole family communicated with each other. Then he was young, he was 63 when he died. And, um, you know, it changed we weren't um, in the habit of saying, I love you every time we hung up or every time we saw each other. I'll tell you, there wasn't a time after his death that we didn't say I love you to each other when we were parting because, you know, death had visited and death had told us that I can surprise you. You know, I can come, I can show up anywhere at any time. And, you know, that whole hug your hug the people you love, let them know that you love them there's so much truth to that. And that to me is why these conversations of death have the ability, if we're open to them, to help us live richer lives. And as Joe talked about in her bit in the debut, you know, you don't deeply grieve unless you've deeply loved. And the love that we felt there, you know, and that is the truth tragic beauty of the losses of my brother and my mom for me it you know it's so you know it was so hard it was so hard watching their processes and being a part of that that you know was tearing my heart out but it was also you know every rip in my heart I knew was because the love was so very deep and so it's um 
it's just part of the human element. If you're going to live it from fully from one end to the other, it's acknowledging all of those feelings that come up and carrying them. And, you know, there's, there's, this doesn't make death pretty. This doesn't make death, you know, not a horrible thing for people. You know, it's, it's hard, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about the reality of it. So there were a few little things that happened. Speaking of love that we said we'd share with you. And, um, so we were all feeling everybody was saying, Oh, I feel presence here. There's so much presence. So I'm going to share with you a couple things. And then Svenja has something to share with you too, that affected everybody if they caught it. But so when we were setting up the space, I got in there earlier for some reason, I don't know, you weren't right there, but this wind was not blowing and it just oh you were there weren't you and it just whooshed through like the whole space and it blew cups off of ants coffee thing and I was just like they're here because <laughs> it just felt like beautiful cleansing yeah. breeze and air and it, it did it felt like an arrival of sorts so you could say, oh yeah, whatever, whatever. So we set up, we set up, we set up, we set up. We took a long time and we leave. We haven't figured out, surely there's a human involved with this, but we leave, we have the key. The person that's there for that period of time has the key and she leaves. We didn't know of anybody else. There were some guys doing a radio show in there, but we have it all set up. When we come back, the cushions, set up we're set up and we had them um, you know over to one side they're set up in this perfect symmetrical circle up at the front for people that want to sit which is like okay who came in there and did that and then the altar that we had was totally rearranged the angel was this was we have an old antique stone ain little bitty like cherub angel that sits on an edge and it was on the other side my brother's picture was moved to the front because I'd put my mom's and my brother's photo to the back so everybody else would have room to put theirs that was moved in front of our temple. So it's like, okay, you know, I messaged Laurel just to see if she'd popped in. I have yet to hear back that. So, so okay, maybe that was a human. Maybe somebody did that. So then um, our friend, Lawrence, was there helping us out and he walks by the altar and I I heard it happen. He saw it. My brother's pitcher scooted across and then fell over. And and I don't I take these things. I don't even go like, ah, oh, that's so cool. I'm just kind of like, oh, of course. <laughs> you know, in my mind it's like, oh, of course, but, yeah. but Lawrence was too funny. He was just like, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that moved that I did not touch that. And he didn't, nobody had touched it. That moved, that moved, that moved all on its own. And I just thought that was really sweet. And what I always have to remember in those times is just to, you know, do a little thank you. Cause I find those little signs <laughs> extremely comforting. And then what did you notice? I noticed as, as well, but I'll let you tell it. So I was the light person. And while Becky was on stage, I did not touch anything I swear the lights started flickering like crazy and Steven Becky's husband was sitting right next to me and I just looked over and he was like what is happening and I was like I didn't touch anything I swear it was crazy yeah and the weirdest part is the lights only flickered when you were on stage or Madeline yeah and I mean I mean yeah. let's be honest I don't usually believe in that kind of stuff well I kind of do but that was someone was there yeah I don't know who it was but someone was there yeah now I <laughs> I'm I'm pretty like uh compulsive like perfectionistic with shows and with everything as people that have worked with me know when I'm directing and when I'm producing. And so I, <laughs> it was when I was doing the verbatim was the first time it happened. And I literally like, didn't even think about hi Max or hi Mayan or hi, you know, Oh, hi mom. I didn't even think it could have been something like that. 
until we talked about it and it's like, well, duh, because that's super, super frequent that people talk about after someone dies, like the lights flickering or lights going off and on on their own. It must, um, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other segment is how people might communicate with us from beyond. But at the time in my mind, I'm going, dang, (laughs) like focus, focus on what my reading, focus on what I'm doing. But I was seeing it more like, oh gosh, I hope the lights don't go totally out. But yeah, I told Svenja later, it's like, I really didn't notice when I was sitting away with them at the light board you know I don't remember seeing it happen but I definitely it was pretty dramatic when it happened when I was reading the verbatim I find that cool especially since it didn't go all the way dark yeah I thought it was cool after the second time because the first time I was like oh my god Becky's gonna think I'm screwing everything up (laughs) not that you would ever be angry at me or anything but it was just like me my anxiety being like oh my god what have you done but I didn't touch anything so the second time I was just like yeah well that's just them saying hi I guess welcome they had never been popping nothing everything had been clean beforehand and manipulating you guys had manipulated the lighting and tested all the lights and yeah it was interesting wasn't it so anything else that you want to touch on before we wrap up I just want to say thank you again for opening up the discussion and also the topic of death to me as well because I haven't been really exposed to that so thank you well thank you I want to just thank you for being it's such a help and I just have to say I don't know what I'm going to do when she's gone because having a partner in this that's feminine energy as well not to be biased but I'm just going to say it because there is a deep part in me that feels this is so akin to like midwife work and you know the whole death doula thing you know it's like they're there tends to be a female energy that is interested in these stories and that's interested in this work. And it's just been so fun and lovely. So maybe we'll do another podcast together um, and we'll continue these conversations. Um, I can't think of anything else. Just watch the space. Like you said, this is an organic process. We, you know, I have a list of things to do. And, you know, I'm one person and Um, Next on the list is, you know, like I said, I've got a blog to put up on the blog post. We'll try to do this about once a week. Um, I'm not going to, you know, get myself wedged into something to add stress, but, you know, we'll try to shoot for something like that and um, the podcast. And then I have interviews, uh, three other interviews, long interviews that I've done with people that I'm now digging, going to dig into And just sit with that feeling of, um, you know, how to move forward with the bigger play, start working on the bigger play, some writing with that. And then also looking at um, what to do as far as some more standalone events like this, possibly. Somebody said to me, like, yeah, this isn't something we could do every week, I don't think. (laughs) Which it's like, yeah, I, I totally get that. And I agree and I wouldn't want to do it that frequently. So, yep, watch the space. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Please come like the Facebook post. Share. The thing is, is that, you know, any production costs money. And, you know, right now we have no income stream at all. You know, there's no advertising, anything like that. So for future, if we're ever going to try to get some support in that way, the more likes we have, the better. The more people that we can say are following us, the better. And I know a lot of people now want to get behind this project and support this project. So really right now, there may be other things you can do later, but right now, the best thing that you could do is share the project with other people, ask them to show their support by following us on these Instagram and um, Facebook and by reading the blog and um, listening to the podcast because then I can present those numbers to people um, if if we ever do need additional support. Again, watch the space. I'm not even sure we do, but I definitely will be going for probably some grants 
and all of that helps to have a bit of a platform. So with that, Svenja, it's been great having you in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.